I didn't know how many people to expect here this morning, given that this is a very special weekend. Not only is it the end of the school half-term week, but uh, we've had two bank holidays to make an extra long weekend in order to celebrate the 70th anniversary of the reign of the Queen. I'm sure you know that. And I, I hope you've been able to make the most of these past few days. On Friday, I went to see my dad and my sister in Essex with Alison and James too. And we got to sample some amazing Platinum Jubilee trifle, which was really good. <laughs> and perhaps some of you have already had um, a street party with neighbours and friends to celebrate. Um, perhaps there will be other things happening later today. We've heard of the prayer gathering um, at four o'clock. But we can be thankful for such opportunities. And we can be thankful for the 70 years that Elizabeth II has been our queen and faithfully served in that role. As well as being the Platinum Jubilee weekend, it's also Pentecost Sunday today. That day in the calendar when we remember the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Easter, the day when God fulfilled his promise to fill the disciples with his Holy Spirit, to transform them to be his witnesses to the world, witnesses of Jesus' resurrection and witnesses of Jesus' power and purpose, as Andrew reminded us a few weeks ago. 2,000 years later, we can be thankful to God for the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit throughout the world and the reality of that in our own lives. We receive God's Spirit when we believe the message of the gospel. And the Holy Spirit is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. We have an inheritance. And the Holy Spirit guarantees what we will receive when Jesus returns. The Holy Spirit is also our teacher and encourager or comforter who is always with us and who lives in us to remind us of all the things that Jesus did and taught and to give us the life that Jesus promised. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, who lives in us both individually and together as a community. So we are a community of the King, which just happens to be the title that we've given to the talk this morning. But we are a community of the King. And as Andrew mentioned, we've been on a journey these past six weeks looking at the second letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. And today we arrive at the end of that letter. We've already had read to us by Ali the final part of the final chapter of 2 Thessalonians. And we can be thankful that we have such a letter to read, a letter that's part of the scriptures that can make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul wrote in one of his other letters, one that was sent to his 
co-worker, Timothy. The same Timothy who is actually named as one of the three authors of this letter. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy are given as the people who wrote this letter. And perhaps it's helpful to remember that it isn't just a letter from one person, the Apostle Paul, but rather a letter from three people, the same three people who together took God's message to Thessalonica, perhaps just a few months or years before this letter was actually written. Now, both letters, both letters begin with them saying how much they thank God for these people, the people who make up the church in Thessalonica. I mentioned that last Sunday morning as we were thinking about prayer. And they write, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters. And they thank God for these people for very good reasons. And in fact, I want to follow that example this morning by saying how thankful I am to God for you people, for the church here. There are lots of reasons I've got to be thankful for you, thankful to you. Not only have you supported us, Alison and myself and our family, during the 16 years that we've been global mission partners, working with the Navigators in France. You've also welcomed us back to Southampton and given us opportunities to reconnect and to help serve here while we wait for uh, an opening to return to France. And I'm especially thankful for the opportunities to spend time preparing for talks like this, because that means I'm spending time reading and thinking about God's Word, reflecting on what these words mean and the difference that they can make to us. And that's, even though it takes some work to prepare a talk, it's a huge blessing and privilege to be able to focus on a particular passage or this letter to Thessalonians. I've really enjoyed going through it these past few months. And I'm looking forward to next week when we're going to start a new series looking at the book of Esther. All of that is a great encouragement to me. And with God's help, as as I try to communicate some of these truths, something about God's greatness, something about God's purpose, I know that it's not all down to me. Because God is at work by his Spirit. It's Pentecost Sunday to make his words have an impact in our lives And I do think that there are things that we're learning together that are going to shape us for the future and give us a hope because the world we live in at the moment is so full of challenges and difficulties, but also opportunities and good gifts from our Heavenly Father. So as I've said, there are plenty of reasons to be thankful this morning. Thankful for one another and thankful for God's work in our lives. But let's now ask the question, how does this letter end? And I'd like to read the passage again with that question in mind, okay? So we're asking ourselves, how does this letter end? What are the things that are being underlined and highlighted as this short letter comes to a close? 
So again, I'll read from chapter 3, beginning at verse 4, where Paul, Silas, and Timothy say, we have confidence, we have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teachings you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. There seem to be two reasons why Paul, Silas, and Timothy wrote this letter. Remember, this is a follow-up letter. The first letter to the Thessalonians is a little bit longer and is known for its encouragement and teaching about the return of Jesus. And the first reason why it was necessary to write a second letter was to reassure people that the day of the Lord, the day when Jesus returns, had not already happened. That might seem strange to us today, but apparently there were people at the time who were saying that the day of the Lord had already come. And even worse... They were saying that Paul and Silas and Timothy were teaching that the day of the Lord had already come. So that seems to be one main reason for this second letter being written. And we can see that from the very beginning of chapter 2, where it says, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. And that's the reason, probably the reason why, at the end of this letter, Paul mentions uh, his handwritten greeting. He wants to underline that this is a genuine letter from him. We can imagine the original letter Paul would have written out, just the last little bit, because he had trouble with his eyesight and difficulty probably writing. It might be a question that we have as well. I don't know. 
How will we know when the day of the Lord arrives? Is there a chance that we'll miss it? Will Jesus return in a way that we might possibly not notice? And the answer given in this letter is clearly no. There are things that will happen before Jesus returns. There'll be a rebellion and a man of lawlessness who will set himself up as God. And when Jesus returns, this man of lawlessness will be overthrown and destroyed by the splendor of Jesus' return. Jesus will return from heaven, we're told, with blazing fire and with his powerful angels. I don't know if you can imagine. It will be a majestic return, a million times more impressive than anything we've seen with the Platinum Jubilee celebrations or anything we could imagine. A million, a billion times more impressive. And we're encouraged to look forward to that day. And this letter helps us to understand that it won't be a day that we'll miss. Don't let anyone deceive us. But think about it, without the explanation that we have in these letters, how would we know what to expect? We can understand why it was necessary for these letters to be written and why it's still helpful for us today to read and reflect on these things. We need to know what's going to happen, especially a day like the day of the Lord. And the same is true regarding the second reason for writing this letter. There seems to be another problem in the church in Thessalonica. And it's a problem that's impacting their community life, the way that they relate to each other. The problem is pinpointed in chapter 3, verse 11, where it's written, We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. Now, the word that's used for idle and disruptive is a word that's only found, is only used in these two letters to the church in Thessalonica. None of the other letters that Paul wrote, or Peter's letters, or John's letters, or any of the other letters we have contain this word that's translated idle and disruptive. And in fact, the word means disorderly, or to live an unruly or undisciplined life. And the picture, if you like, is of soldiers marching together. And some of the soldiers can't keep rank. They can't keep in step with the others. And it's something that's, that's affecting them. But there's no explanation given for why these people were like this, idle and disruptive. But it's enough of an issue that it takes up a whole third of this letter. A whole chapter is devoted to this problem. Now, let's be very clear about this. Every church has problems because every church is made up of people like us and we're all imperfect. We all have our own struggles and difficulties, which makes living together in community a real challenge. And the closer we are to each other, the more we notice the differences between us, the things that niggle or frustrate us or cause us to react to one another. The question is, how do you deal with problems like that in a church? 
And that's, I think, where it's really helpful to notice how Paul and Silas and Timothy deal with that problem in this letter. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. That's verse 6 of chapter 3. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. Does that surprise us or shock us? That believers are told to keep away from other believers who are not living in an orderly way or according to the teachings that they've been given. Is that a surprise? Is that a shock? Just in case it wasn't clear, the same instruction is repeated in verse 14 where it says, take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. So should we this morning be looking at one another, trying to work out who are the ones we should be keeping away from, or who in the church we shouldn't be associating with? Well, no, I don't think so. The fact is that this word is only used in these two letters, So it's only in in this city that there's a problem. And that should make us realize that it's, it's unlikely that we have the same problem here at Portsford Church. What is important is the way that Paul, Silas, and Timothy deal with this problem from a distance by writing to these people. So they're thanking God for these people. They're praying for them. They're encouraging them. And they're also instructing them. And there seems to be a progression from what they wrote in their first letter. So let me read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. And that's just one of, of lots of instructions that are given in the last chapter of their first letter. Warn those who are living disorderly lives who are not keeping rank with everyone else it's a warning that's important because we know that Paul Silas and Timothy wrote we urge you we urge you to warn those who are idle and disruptive now we don't know if the Thessalonians did warn those who were being idle and disruptive in their community perhaps not It's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult to warn someone or say, point out to someone that there's something that's not quite right uh, or talk to people about the way that they're, they're living. But in any case, we know that the problem hasn't gone away because of the way it's addressed in the second letter. And now they write, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus who is King, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. It's a stronger instruction now, not just a warning, but an actual instruction to keep away from certain people. And remember, I'm not suggesting that we should be looking around trying to identify people to avoid this morning because this seems to be a specific problem in the Thessalonian church. 
And very importantly, the instruction to keep away from people is followed by another instruction in verse 15 of chapter 3, where it says, Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. So that's the last thing we want, to be looking around thinking, who's my enemy? But it is a matter of how we treat each other and how we see each other and how we live in community together. That's what Paul, Silas, and Timothy are concerned about here. And maybe that's something that we should be concerned about as well. When they were with the Thessalonians, what did they do? They tried to set the very best example they could, an example to follow. So if I read from verse 7, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, labouring and toiling, so so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. See, the issue seems to be that some people are not working, but are expecting to receive food from others in the community. In a way, they are an unnecessary burden on the rest of the community. They are not busy, it says, but they're busy bodies. They're getting involved in other people's affairs. And what is being emphasized here is the value of working in order to earn our keep, which is something that, again, is mentioned in the first letter in chapter 4 and verse 11. I'll just read it to you. And make it your ambition... To lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy have already said this to the church of Thessalonians, and now they're having to emphasize it even more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you. In fact, the Thessalonians have been commended by Paul, Silas, and Timothy for their work. Right at the start of the first letter, they write, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He wouldn't write those things if these Christians weren't hard at work, laboring and toiling, just as Paul had been, just following the example that Paul had given them. But there are some who aren't like that. Our work, our labor, gives us the opportunity to express our faith and our love. That's why work is important. And you can imagine that maybe in a a farming situation, planting crops, and harvesting and you can't do that unless you're trusting in in the rains coming in the seeds producing good crops in there not being a drought in there not being too much heat so that kind of work inspires faith faith in god who controls the universe who made the universe 
But it's true for us even today. We can have faith at work. We can trust God for the things that we do each day. We can express love in the way that we do our work. Love for God, love for one another, love for the people that we work with. Our work matters to God, as does our influence on those around us and people in our community. Sometimes there are people who can't work or who struggle to work and rely on the support of others in order to eat. But that's not the problem that Paul's addressing here. It seems that there are people who are choosing not to work and are still expecting to receive food from others. And we don't know why they're doing that. As I've said, it's not explained. But what is the solution? What is Paul underlining in this final chapter? He wants them to go back to the teaching that they've received, to keep going back, and keep going back to the example that they've seen, his example, the example of Paul and Silas and Timothy. So what about us? What about us? Well, perhaps it's the instruction in chapter 3, verse 13, that we should consider taking to heart this morning, where it says, And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Never tire of doing what is good. What does it take to do this? The final chapter of this letter, like the final chapter of the previous letter, is packed with instructions and a reminder of teaching that has been passed on to them and has been passed on to us as well. Teaching about a way of life, teaching about life lived out in community. But behind that way of life is a strength and a power that doesn't come from us. It comes from God. It comes from him working in us to will and to act according to his good purpose. That's what God's doing. And he's doing it all the time. He's doing it every day in all of our lives. And if we want to experience this, if we are never to tire of doing what is good, then we need something beyond ourselves. Paul, Silas, and Timothy know this very well, which is why they end this letter with the following words. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. If we're going to continue to do these good things, things prompted by faith, things empowered by God who lives in us, then we need the Lord of peace himself to give us peace at all times and in every way. This, this is the work of God's Spirit. Today is Pentecost Sunday, and it's God's Spirit who brings to us God's peace, the Spirit of Jesus who gives us peace so that we can continue doing what is good. And the very last verse is exactly the same as the very last verse of 1 Thessalonians. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. To which we can say, hopefully, a heartfelt amen. We all need grace. Grace for today, grace for this week, grace for one another, 
Grace for our community, a community of the King. Grace to continue doing good, working with the strength and energy that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of Jesus who is in us.